Welcome, Indigenettes, to Toon Dali, a podcast by Indigenous people for Indigenous people, our love letter to Oaxaca, California. Your hosts are Janet Martinez and Luis Antonio Lopez Resendiz. Bienvenidas y bienvenidos, Indigenettes, a Toon Dali, nuestro espacio de podcast creado por individuos indígenas para comunidades indígenas, nuestra carta de amor a Oaxaca, California. Los acompaña Janet Martinez. Luis Antonio López Reséndiz. Hi, welcome back everybody. Bienvenidas, bienvenidos. We're so glad to have you all back and especially, um, you know, on the day that we honor indigenous people, which is every day. <laughs> and we have with us on this episode, Alida Yat, who is an indigenous language interpreter who is trilingual. She interprets in courtrooms and hospitals all over the country. And ella es Kechi, eh, viene a hablar sobre un poco sobre la, los procesos que ha tomado ella para convertirse en intérprete. I think she's also an actress, no? She's also an actress. She has participated in, uh, I think she mentions in the podcast, she participated in a documentary that was created en uh, Guatemala that talks about the palm oil industry. So we have this really amazing woman coming here to share her experience, you know, her work that she does. She does some interpretation all over, like we had mentioned before. And really the, the nuanced experiences of interpretation, right? We know that we've had Policarpo Chak share his experiences as being indigenous interpreters. So we also wanted to bring different um, people's experience, which is why we invited Alida to see if she could share some words, some thoughts, some ideas with us. And we're really happy to have been able to learn from her. Y qué mejor día para compartirles este episodio que hoy, eh, que estamos pues, celebrando otro mes de la resistencia de los pueblos indígenas. It's been 528 years since, you know, our ancestors began a whole movement of resistance. Por ellos y por ellas estamos aquí y pues esta historia es importante de escuchar. So... Enjoy. Chancha quill linkaba alida yat, qui jokat chi quapin kill lin la inchin chal chakoban ut nina tinakli erchi. Lin canjela rin Estados Unidos la ina halolatin ut kahorsa ilinquam nak joke chisabin kill li podcast akwe. Estamos aquí con la compañera Alida, que es una intérprete en una de las lenguas mayas de Guatemala. Eh, que está aquí en Los Ángeles visitándonos y nos está acompañando hoy en este espacio de podcast para hablar un poco sobre eh, su trayectoria como una 
eh, protectora de los derechos lingüísticos para los migrantes indígenas. Y pues, Alida, te, nos, te gustaría presentarte ante el público que nos escucha. Muchas gracias. Mi nombre es Alida Yat. Yo soy de Cobán. Salí de Cobán en los setentas uh, y uh, desde entonces vivo en Washington, D.C. Eh, y yo he estado trabajando como intérprete desde los 2002. Y como intérprete de Quechí empecé en 2008. Y me he dado cuenta que durante el año uh, este año se ha incrementado la necesidad de, de los servicios en Quechí. Yo estoy muy orgullosa de que el idioma de mis abuelos se lo esté utilizando como un puente para aquellos que necesitan comunicarse aquí en los Estados Unidos. Entonces, Anida, ¿Cuál fue, what was your journey coming to the United States? What was life like in Guatemala? What's um, particular about your community as an indigenous person? What is the, what are the traditions, the culture out there? My um, experience growing up um, was, I cannot say it was not happy, it was beautiful. We were limited uh, in income and resources, but we were mostly very happy. I, we used to go, go to my grandmother's home and fetch water because we didn't have uh, water, running water at home. We used to help my mom with the agriculture needs. Uh, she would be like i guess a um a regular mom indigenous mom that at that time who was not concerned for us to attend school and whenever we were not in school she was happy because we would help her uh, either clean the house fetch water wash clothes uh, pick coffee pick uh, beans, anything that would help her at home. I, I am the youngest of uh, five uh, children and we were uh, with our mom because uh, my father left when I was five years old. I think uh, my um, ever since I have uh, valued the, the Kekchi language because I used to hear my grandparents speak with each other in the evening like a pillow talk. They would uh, uh, talk about what was their next uh, religious activity was, who got married, who died, who was baptized. And one of the, the things that made an impression in my mind when I was a kid was that um, my grandmother would say something like, uh, do you know that uh, so-and-so slept with um, <laughs> somebody? It was gossip. And I would hear, and, uh, and as a result, she is having a baby. But that was a literal rendition of what my grandmother would tell my grandfather. And 
ever since when I was, I guess, 11 through 15, I thought that sleeping literally on the side of a man would get you pregnant. So that was a, um, an eye-opener for me when I learned that it wasn't. <laughs> so those... In indigenous languages, things are said a little differently because they come from a different worldview than they would be said in Spanish. Definitely. And so that example that you just shared, um, I think is a, is a good example because you thought that the lying next to a man would get you pregnant. That's right. If you could elaborate a little bit more on why that was, or for somebody that didn't speak an indigenous language or doesn't ever have experience with indigenous languages, how would they make that jump or how would you explain that difference? I think it is a question of uh, culture and what you are allowed to say when the kids are around. Probably if my grandparents were together without me there, probably the language would have been different, but I, I am not sure because Sex in um, the indigenous culture is a taboo. It's something that you don't speak about. You go out with someone, you um, go to their parents to ask permission if you can see a young lady. And uh, in terms of um, graphic, graphically talking about sex, it doesn't happen. And so I think that it is, it is more like a cultural um, uh, custom. It's something that it is not done. I think it's interesting because I know uh, in our case, my grandmother is always very graphic and she'll <laughs> always tell us these things that, oh, um, we go and we visit her sometimes and she'll be like, ya te levases tu bechu, bechu is a vagina, you know, your thing, have you, have you washed your thing? And she's very blatant about it and she's always doing these running jokes and like always talking about it in, in that kind of like double entendre way. So I don't know, maybe it's like different for different indigenous people because I know that from my experience, my mom, my grandma always says stuff like that, like, ya te lavases tu cosa, yeah, she's really graphic. She, I don't know where you go, not expect that a woman like that will come and like, what are you doing? Are you playing with your thing? So funny. In my case, it wasn't. I don't know why. Probably, and I have heard this that the Kekchi are very. Um, they they keep to themselves a lot and mm -hmm. uh, maybe that is one of the reasons but maybe it was my family and um, i remember that when i was a child maybe five or six to eight maybe my um, sister would help me uh, with my bath and then she would wash my hair she would brush everything and then she said like from here from your uh, from your trunk to 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 your head I will wash you now you do the rest mm -hmm. and that was the only instructions she gave me which means you were not allowed to touch a kid mm -hmm. 
Which brings me to the fact that uh, here I have uh, encountered the problems with um, kids who are expecting a baby. That was one of the sad part of my interpreting in some of the uh, children's cases who need to understand what is going to happen to them or what can will they do because um, these are kids for God's sake. These are children who have not experienced um, what is to have fun, what is to be a kid, a teenager, because they themselves are going to have a baby, or they did have a baby. Uh, that is a trauma that I have internalized because I know what it's like to go through motherhood, to go th all those nine months thinking and worrying about your kid, wanting them to be healthy, wanting them to be happy, to have a better future than you did. And if these kids have migrated to the U.S. hoping for a better future, hoping to change what they have seen in their family and being displaced probably by, because of uh, poverty, because of uh, uh, the agro-industries uh, stealing their lands, because they were abused, because there were no parents, because war or whatever. They are fleeing Guatemala for circumstances that uh, were very different from mine. And uh, I don't presume to, to know, oh no, this is more serious, because everyone's experience is different. And to know that, that you have run away from a place that you live behind because of certain suffering, because of certain bad thing that happened to you, and to come here and be abused or violated or raped during your transition to the U.S. That is a great impact that I think is, is too much for a kid. Mm -hmm. Of course. So you, you brought something um, to this conversation that is important for us to, I think, talk about. Uh, since in other episodes we were talk we had talked about the mass migration of indigenous communities and what is or what it was or what it is, still is Mesoamerica, no? mm -hmm. and which is from southern Mexico to Central America with all this part that is rich in minerals, rich in cultures, muy diversa lingüísticamente y étnicamente, no muchas comunidades. The communities from Guatemala have been migrating to the to LA, to Los Angeles, to the East Coast, to the Midwest, even to Northern California and Oakland, you know. And you mentioned that they're migrating because of many different factors, the transnational companies that go and settle and displace communities, the war mm -hmm. that is recent. What is the case of the Quechil community? Why, why, why are they migrating and why, why is it that you are encountering these communities 
in your work as a um, interpreter? More than you did before. Right. I think um, la razón por la cual las familias están saliendo de su comunidad es porque, por ejemplo, una de las cosas que yo he visto porque yo visité una de, de las aldeas en, um, en Alta Verapaz que se llama Bartolomé de las Casas es un lugar que antes era un, una selva preciosa con bastante flora y fauna y ahora las compañías uh, de, que están creando espacio y destruyendo la selva han estado sembrando la palma africana con la cual están haciendo aceites aceite comestible yo entiendo pero es un aceite que ha destruido la naturaleza que ha destruido las aguas y la pureza de las aguas no existe más El, um, hecho de que la palma necesita muchísima más agua. Hace unos dos años o el año pasado trabajé con una organización que se llama Action Aid que hicieron un documental con respecto a esto que está sucediendo en, en los, lo que era una, una selva muy rica y que ahora se convirtió en, en grandes plantaciones de la palma africana y los indígenas compartieron que una, una, de, una de las cosas que han impactado mucho en su comunidad es que los dueños de las corporaciones han cerrado las calles que ellos solían tomar para ir a tomar tal vez el bus a la calle principal para ir al mercado para ir al hospital y diferentes rutas que ellos tomaban las cerraron porque dijeron que eso, esa propiedad ya era de esta nueva corporación y hubo un, compartió algo, un señor diciendo que por ejemplo nosotros tenemos una emergencia y una de nuestras mujeres está teniendo un bebé, nosotros no podemos tomar los extravíos que tomábamos antes. Tenemos que dar una gran vuelta porque nos han cerrado las partes donde nosotros utilizamos. Además, las aguas han sido contaminadas por los fertilizantes, por lo, los químicos que ponen anti... Um, para los pesticidas que han creado unas como aguas negras. Y las mujeres cuando van a lavar, dice, en vez de traer la ropa limpia, la traen como con olor a químicos. Mm. El agua que nosotros acarreamos antes podía ser guardada como dos, tres días. Ahora el agua no tiene buen olor, no la podemos tomar. Hay niños que se han enfermado de la piel, nosotros nos... Nosotros casi no nos hemos enfermado de la piel, pero los, los niños sí. Es porque ellos están más eh, propensos a estos químicos. Y desafortunadamente a estas personas parece que los han engañado a que cómo ellos pueden tener mejores empleos trabajando 
en las plantaciones de, de palma, en lugar de hacer sus sembraditos de frijoles, de maíz, de café, y que eso podían vender y tener sus animales. Como dicen, ya no podemos tener animales porque no, ya no se puede. Hace mucho calor ahora. Y esa es una de las razones que yo creo en las Verapaces está sucediendo la migración. ¿Y esta región de la comunidad que Chile, en qué parte de Guatemala queda? En Cobán, Alta Verapaz, pero con respecto a, a diferentes lugares, han ido a Izabal, eh, con, yo he tenido clientes a quienes he ayudado que han estado por el Estor, que es una zona como eh, una costa, como cerca del, del mar. Ya. Y en diferentes lugares, y todo porque necesitan ellos conseguir otras cosas que hacer. Entonces lo que estoy viendo es el caso similar que históricamente pasó o sigue pasando en México, en donde tenemos un gobierno, ¿verdad?, eh, como el gobierno antes eh, que tuvo Guatemala, en el que era un presidente que, re, que regresó las tierras, o que estaba regresando las tierras a las comunidades, eh, y en eso llegaron las grandes compañías norteamericanas, en este caso eh, eh, Chiquita Banana, ¿verdad? Sí. Que empezaron a privatizar, impusieron un presidente, se creó una guerra, empezó un exterminio de comunidades mayas, eh, pues diferentes comunidades que son conocidas ya por acá en Estados Unidos, diferentes casos, dos R's, eh, comunidades pues de diferentes regiones. Y ahora pues viene pues otra vez estas comunidades eh, que ahora pues no necesariamente son norteamericanas, vemos que hay muchas comunidades, muchas empresas chinas de, de Europa que llegan a, a tomar otra vez posesión de la tierra y se mira una nueva migración que viene de Guatemala. Y nosotros en una ocasión encontramos a unos migrantes guatemaltecos mayas, eh, MAM, en San Diego. Eh, y a mí se me hizo muy interesante porque venían con una gorra que decía Tomateros de Culiacán. Oh, los tomate sí. Es el equipo de béisbol de Culiacán en el estado de Norte de México. Y yo les pero yo a mí se me ocurrió preguntarles de quién de dónde eran porque tenían un similar con la comunidad mixteca. Uh -huh. ¿No? Nos parecimos, yo dije, a lo mejor han de ser tíos por ahí de una región. Eh, y les pregunté que de dónde eran, les pregunté que si eran mixtecos y me dijeron que no. Entonces dije, bueno, si no son indígenas mexicanos, han de ser de Guatemala. Y les pregunté que si eran quiché. Entonces dijeron, no. Pero hablaban español muy poquito, sí. ¿verdad? Entonces sí. yo creo que son migrantes que van pues en su camino trabajando, haciendo algo de dinero para poder llegar a, eventualmente a Estados Unidos. Entonces me dice, soy mam no. Entonces eh, miramos que ellos estaban haciendo una interpretación muy eh, de tres personas, le llamaban a alguien, creo que iban a Iowa, Ajá. le estaban llamando a alguien a, a Iowa que hablaba un poco más de inglés uh -huh. y ellos le decían el mam a esta persona y se la pasaban al seguridad que estaba en la estación del Greyhound. Y entonces ellos querían comprar un boleto desde Iowa para estas personas que estaban ahí en la estación. Era una familia, ¿no? Era una familia, creo que unos... Yo creo que era más de una familia porque eran como unas siete personas, ¿no? Como unos señores, unas señoras, y unos babies, y unos niños que estaban viajando juntos, yendo a, a Iowa, creo. 
Eh, tú tocaste un punto muy interesante que con todo lo que ellos, a, a ellos les hace falta, yo, yo pienso que las familias tienen una fuerza interna mucho más grande que la, el miedo de presentarse a un lugar completamente desconocido uh -huh. y desafortunadamente cuando, cuando ellos llegan aquí están esperando que, que tener una vida diferente desde el principio y que les han dicho en sus comunidades que es fácil ganar el dinero aquí y qué sé yo, pero son gente trabajadora y son gente que no tiene miedo de echarle fuerza. Claro. Y también hablaste sobre la riqueza de, de nuestros pueblos, la riqueza de nuestros países. Guatemala no se queda atrás, tenemos tantas cosas tan bellas que desafortunadamente la gente que puede, los que tienen el dinero, quieren comprar hasta los patrimonios culturales como una... Los tejidos. Un, no solo los tejidos, sino que tal vez un lugar de turismo como una cueva. Y quieren apropiarse de eso. Hay un señor francés, no sé su nombre, pero que ha querido apropiarse y hacer, y ha hecho hoteles en un lugar que es turístico. Y de esa manera ha estado él sacando ventaja de lo bello que es nuestro país y también teniendo su influencia en que los indígenas no sigan cultivando y que, que ya ellos no digan esto es parte mía, esto es de nuestros, uh, nuestros ancestros, este es una, un lugar sagrado, no podemos violarlo, porque para nosotros es tan importante la naturaleza. Para nosotros eh, decimos, bueno, nosotros decimos, yo en la mañana le digo buenos días al sol, buenos días al, a la naturaleza buenos días a la lluvia, todo lo que hacía mi abuela. Entonces para nosotros el, 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 um, la naturaleza es sagrada, es la que nos da el vivir, nos da el, el respirar, el sol, la lluvia y de hecho nos ayuda con los cultivos. Entonces tenemos, que, tenemos dentro el, el, el um, valor, la, el... Um, The values that nature is sacred. Mm -hmm. Que no debemos hacer algo que viole la naturaleza. Y por eso creo que para los indígenas es lo último que les pueden quitar sus tierras y que ya no tengan ellos un futuro o sus hijos un futuro. Well, there's a few points, though. I think that the, the first one is that you talked about the diversity mm -hmm. and richness there is in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. How many languages are spoken in Guatemala? As I know, I think there are 22 main languages. And there is uh, another Garifuna that is spoken in Belize and uh, I think Isabel. 
uh, which is like an African um, language, and Spanish. So in these uh, languages, are there variants? They are, and uh, most of the languages do not have similar uh, terms. Sometimes the uh, word for, for thank you, for gracias, for uh, food, uh, is similar in quiche or mama, I think. But um, mainly they are very different. And so for quiche, in, for example, is, is there a lot of linguistic variation? Is there like... They are in pronunciation and they are in, um, in small terms such as um, there is pokom, pokomchi, there is kekchi that is spoken in the uh, in San Pedro Carcha, which is different, but not very different. They understand us. The main language is the one that I speak, but for example, they would. Uh, I learned that the word for aquí is arin, for here, and um, some of my uh, the clients that I have um, interpreted for they say ayi and at the beginning i was uh, i was taken aback and i i said what is ayi i never learned that word and then because of the context i was able to to understand that it meant here so mm -hmm. a lot of other things instead of saying um, with a double r sound like aru uh, means uh, what oh, um, oh okay what mm -hmm. did you do Garu Shabanu uh, they would say Garu with a with a R that is it's different mm -hmm. and so there are nuances but mainly they, they understand each they understand us we have difficulty in understanding them mm, uh -huh. I see so I think the other thing that she touched on that was interesting was, ay Dios, se me fue. Well, I think it's, um, you know, in this work that we do, sure. we mentioned in the previous podcast that we always work with indigenous interpreters and that uh, we have an organization that has trained interpreters since 1993. Right. 1993. 1993. And uh, in this line of work, we had encountered many, many, many languages, uh -huh. which is the beauty of doing this work. You know, the beauty of of us going out there to the fields and you know identifying languages and understanding and learning from other communities like the Quechil uh -huh. that there's a richness and there's a lot of history y que hay un, una carga muy grande que, que los intérpretes cargan con en sí porque son los que llevan la palabra verdad son los que llevan el, el poder del mensaje en la palabra y los que van haciendo este trabajo para llevar justicia a una comunidad, a una familia, eh, y lo vemos en diferentes maneras, ¿no? Y tú qué tienes que, que piensas en esto de, de hacer el intérprete, ¿no? Tú que ahora puedes interpretar un mensaje en tres diferentes mundos, ¿verdad? Dos de ellos son las lenguas que dominan y que siguen dominando el mundo y una es la que el quechil que hablas, que en sí nosotros vemos un intérprete como una persona eh, 
Nosotros vemos a un intérprete que está haciendo un acto de resistencia al hablar su lengua nativa, su lengua originaria que por más de 528 años quisieron exterminar, pero que ahorita en Los Ángeles estás, ¿no? Tenemos la fortuna de que nos estás acompañando en un podcast hablando sobre cómo tú ves al quechilo, tu manera de ver el mundo desde el mundo quechil, ¿verdad? ¿Qué piensas sobre cómo es tu rol en este mundo, en estos mundos sobre...? Yo creo que el papel del intérprete en sí es algo maravilloso porque escuchando lo que ustedes grabaron en uno de los podcasts anteriores, que las madres son las que contribuyen a las tradiciones. Uh -huh. Y una de esas cosas me impactó porque digo, sí, las madres somos las, las que llevamos el idioma y les enseñamos a los niños por qué se llama Mother Tongue, porque nosotros somos las que entregamos el, el idioma a nuestros hijos y es, es, con la esperanza que ellos también vayan a utilizarlo. No creo que mis abuelos hubieran estado conscientes que lo que estaban haciendo era transmitirme ese regalo. Y solamente con estar conversando entre ellos y ellos eran muy religiosos y tenían fiestas en su casa, invitaban a muchos miembros de la comunidad y todos eran los quechis. Y yo hablaba con las señoras, hablaba con los niños y para mí el hecho de transmitir un un pasaje de un idioma que ellos no entienden y, o que tal vez entienden un poquito de algunas palabras o que ellos saben hablar un poco de español o entienden a veces, pero que su naturaleza es hablar en su idioma nativo porque lo sienten más seguro, porque lo sienten que, que sienten que ese va, va a ser el mensaje más apropiado y lo que quieren decir. Entonces, el, el papel del intérprete es ser un puente, ser uh, el uh, mensajero que los lleva de un extremo al otro y que ellos puedan viceversa, regresar con sus ideas, porque algunos piensan que los indígenas, por ser indígenas, son tontos, pero no lo son. Ellos son no solo muy inteligentes, sino que tienen una fuerza, como dije anteriormente, tan grande porque tienen la, diríamos, osadía de viajar a un mundo diferente sin el idioma y sin educación, porque lastimosamente eso también es lo que ha impactado a nuestras comunidades indígenas, que los tienen marginados. No hay muchas escuelas en las aldeas, no hay muchos profesores que quieran ir a enseñar en las aldeas y los lugares remotos. Entonces eso crea una falta de educación muy grande. So going back on uh, or contemplating that a little bit more, 
does how what is it like to be indigenous in Guatemala? What is it like to come from a community that doesn't receive access to education because of the rurality or because of racism? I mean, Guatemala has a history of committing genocide against a lot of, well, against its indigenous people, you know? And it has also been proven that there are people that deny that that genocide happened, right? right. When Rios Mott mm-hmm. was convicted, they overturned the conviction, no? Right. So I guess, what is that lived experience or your family's lived experience in the, in that in that country being indigenous? I wouldn't say that my family had uh, a negative uh, impact, as enormous as the other communities in the Quiche region or uh, in the Cachiquel region of um, the areas where most of the uh, genocide was um, uh, a, a great um, impact on their population because I don't know if it was my family. I think we are privileged to say we lived in the, um, in the city, we went to school, we had uh, middle school, we had uh, other access to education. In my family, we didn't have much resources, and that is why I left when I left, because uh, I was tired of not having uh, books that were, were required for uh, high school. And uh, my mom was by herself, and she knew we were five. So that was one of the reasons I went to the capital to work. But other indigenous people who are living in the, in the villages, in uh, the places that are remote, are impacted by the lack of education. And I think they don't know better what is it that they have no access to. They just live their lives, they do the plantan su maíz, traen sus frijoles al mercado, sus ventas, and they get by like that. Um, they have their um, chickens and uh, animals, they, they raise whatever they are able to raise and they eat from it. And that's why the um, taking away their land or or having other plantations that are so foreign from what they should be in Guatemala, it's taking their away their whole well-being, their whole future. So I think even if we were not uh, victims of genocide, some of my um, family members feel that they were victims of the guerrillas because they were this group of people who were against the, the treatment, the mistreatment of the indigenous people and they were recruiting young people who were asked to fight. 
and uh, my father had had many kids, and uh, we don't know how many are we. <laughs> so one of the uh, half brothers disappeared, and these are the uh, one of the uh, the persons who was a member of Los Desaparecidos, which is very common in Argentina and everywhere. Who uh, they are. Uh, Take it away and we don't. <coughs> Sorry. Ugh. Sorry, I had So, those are the, I think, some of the uh, impacts that indigenous communities have to deal with and uh, live through. So, you live in the city because that's originally where that tribe is at or where that community is located. Or did your family migrate from their originally com original community to the city? No, we were. I I think we were. I guess uh, the uh, the children of people who lived in the city. We never lived in remote places, but there are many remote aldeas, remote villages where most of the Kekchis are. So did your parents do, well, did your grandparents have an internal migration, which is what's called when you move within the, the boundaries of Guatemala? I don't think so. I don't know they were always enough there? about them, but they were always there. My, mo my grandmother, I know that she had land because uh, her parents gave the, gave the land to, to her, and uh, they were in... Um, those days, I would say, well off mm -hmm. in uh, their in terms of who they were as heads of a um, of a community who would have enough money to celebrate yearly the Santis La Santísima Trinidad and have mass, have novenas, have food for a lot of people. And that was a tradition of hers. For 30 years, years she had uh, this uh, celebration. And so to me, my grandmother had enough money because she was, I guess, she inherited some money. Mm -hmm. And my mother had more difficulty in raising us because we were five and she was alone. And I remember that sometimes we would go to my uh, grandmother and uh, she would feed us and she would say, um, Ya comiste? And I remember having to go to fetch water in, in <laughs> quotes at the time that I knew my grandmother would be having dinner. And because we didn't have the type of types of food that she had because my mom worked as a um, like a nine to five job because she had a venta en el mercado and what does a venta en el mercado would bring not much she had her wares uh, we peel uh, spices beans uh, anything that she would sell and it was not much hmm. but in my grandmother had the same but my grandmother had the means, and my yeah, grandfather was a carpintero, a fine carpintero, and uh, I guess they did have money. Sometimes they would have good dinner, 
And if I uh, went there at the strategic time, I would <laughs> be invited to sit with them. And then she would give us um, tasson to take it to my, my mom to share. So those are the things that I remember that my abuelos didn't come from uh, villages far away sino que eran, ellos vivían en la ciudad, en la ciudad de Cobán, que es la, la ciudad principal de Alta Vera. Entonces, Alida, ¿a dónde es donde emigra la comunidad Quechil? Eh, ahorita, a, esa, ¿a qué lugares que tú sepas has encontrado que va principalmente la comunidad Quechil? Es difícil decir exactamente a dónde van, pero creo que dependiendo de dónde ellos tienen familiares, a qué punto ellos determinan, en qué punto ellos determinan si voy a Chicago porque ahí está mi tío, ahí está mi primo, o voy a Ohio. Sé que han habido necesidades de interpretación en New Jersey, en Nueva York, en Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, en Ohio, en diferentes lugares y trabajamos también con gente en Tucson porque pasan por la frontera ahí y, y se quedan en Tucson moment, eh, por, uno, por unos días hasta que ellos encuentran a sus familiares y se, se van a distintos lugares. Mm. Entonces yo creo que depende dónde ellos tienen familiares pero sí he notado que van a, a Louisville, Kentucky, he, he tenido gente y hay áreas remotas donde hay um, fábricas, pero muy lejos donde llevan a los trabajadores y es muy difícil decir dónde se encuentran. Would you say that LA is also one of the places, given that you did so many interpretations? Right. I was uh, surprised that there were so many cases in um, L.A. And these are only cases that we are hearing about. What about the cases that we don't know? And mm -hmm. in here, I, see, I learned that they, the, the good thing is that people have the right to have medical which is a very good idea. I think um, including the population to have access to healthcare mm -hmm. is very important. It's a thinking forward to what the needs of a larger population would be so that Uh, if we have children who are going to the doctor regularly, going to the, to the dentist, um, ellos van a ser generaciones saludables. Mm -hmm. No importa si tienen los documentos o no. Entonces yo quisiera hacer un um, llamado a las personas de mi comunidad que están aquí en um, Los Ángeles. Si me están escuchando, es importantísimo que ustedes sepan que tienen derechos a, derecho a tener acceso de medical, que es el, el plan de salud en California para los niños, 
y yo creo que también para los adultos. Así que es importante que pregunten, pregunten en las escuelas, pregunten a las personas que ustedes confían, a las personas que saben más, ¿cómo pueden ustedes obtener esos servicios? Y tienen derecho a programas de educación también. Y lo que más les exhorto, lo que, y les invito a que no se involucren en problemas. Yo los admiro por haber cruzado la frontera en la manera como lo hicieron, porque eso requiere no solo mucha valentía, requiere una, una pérdida del, del miedo que se tiene allá, que también es horroroso. Y no se sabe las, los otros peligros que vienen en, en, una, una, en un lugar nuevo. O sea que para mí ustedes son héroes, para mí ustedes eh, valen uh, ser respetados y que, que tengan un futuro mejor, el futuro que ustedes estaban buscando. And the last thing, don't forget that you also have the right for an interpreter. Eso precisamente les iba a decir ahora porque quería decirles algo en, en Kekchi. Mi Kekchi no está tan fabuloso porque suena como una persona que ya tiene una, un acento raro. <risa> Pero y, y me han, eh, las personas con quien yo me he comunicado me dicen que sí, que me entienden. Entonces, lo otro es, si usted no habla el español eh, con, uh, con mucha uh, facilidad y, claro, está aprendiendo tal vez inglés, es importante que usted se comunique en su idioma nativo para que le entiendan completamente su, lo, el mensaje. Y... Usted tiene derecho a pedir interpretación a donde quiera que vaya. Si va a un hospital, si va a una escuela, si usted tiene asuntos que reclamar, tiene derecho a pedir un intérprete que hable su idioma, que hable Kekchi. Okay, muchas gracias, Alida, por haber compartido este tiempo y por estar con nosotros. Apreciamos mucho your input, your knowledge, and everything you bring to the table. Agradecerte también por uh, you being in our podcast y pues saludar a todos los compañeros que vienen de Guatemala todas las comunidades que aquí se encuentran en Los Ángeles y que de repente van a todos nuestros eventos también entonces les mandamos un saludo cordial a todos los compañeros de las diferentes naciones y comunidades que hay en Guatemala verdad gracias por el apoyo y esperemos que esta esta plática con con Alida les les ayude para el trabajo que estén haciendo que podamos en el futuro también traer a otros compañeros y compañeras de otras comunidades Entonces, pues también muchas gracias Alida por acompañarnos desde Washington DC que estás ahorita haciendo trabajo aquí en Los Ángeles y pues para nosotros es un honor poder tener una plática con una mujer fuerte que es portadora de la palabra que chill y que también pues viaja en este mundo eh, interpretándolo en tres lenguas en ¿no? tres diferentes mundos y pues 
Gracias por Muchas estar gracias, Muchas gracias a ustedes. Y el mensaje que quisiera dar es también cómo ellos se pueden comunicar con ustedes, porque lo otro que yo quisiera exhortar es que estamos en busca de personas quechí que hablen el idioma quechí y que hablen español. Tal vez que entiendan inglés sería mucho pedir, pero estamos tratando de capacitar más intérpretes que nos puedan ayudar, porque es esencial que nosotros nos ayudemos mutuamente y que no tengamos miedo. No tengamos miedo de, y, y también uh, tener el orgullo de ser indígenas. Yo he encontrado que cuando encuentro alguna, cuando yo conozco a una persona, les pregunto de dónde son y a veces me dicen de Quetzaltenango, de Chichi o de, lo que, de cualquier pueblo donde vienen. Y les pregunto, ¿hablas un idioma maya? Y me dicen, no pero lo hacen como que, como que no, eh, con pena, con pena, como con vergüenza. Y yo quisiera que perdiéramos esa vergüenza. Es un orgullo saber que podemos entender una comunicación en otro idioma. Really thankful to Alida Yat for sharing her experience as an interpreter in the courtrooms and in different places that she's interpreted and different work that she has done. We're incredibly grateful to her to have shared that with Bundali's audiences, with us, and we're just so happy that we're just able to be this medium to share this story with you all. Pues Alida, si nos escuchas por ahí, muchas gracias por todo el tiempo que has dedicado a prepararte como intérprete, eres un ejemplo a seguir siempre participando en todos los encuentros de intérpretes que tenemos y siempre apoyando a otros hermanos y hermanas intérpretes que se están desarrollando en el, en el camino eh, cuidado, ahí en Washington DC eh, un, un escenario muy complejo para vivir como un indígena migrante y pues a, a todas y todos los que nos escuchan Muchas gracias, esperamos que este episodio les haya gustado y que nos puedan ayudar a compartirlo, ¿verdad? Porque es importante visibilizar la migración de los pueblos indígenas eh, en todas partes de Estados Unidos. So, we would just like to say thank you to everybody that has given us their feedback, their comments. We're really grateful to be in conversation with everyone from the people that come on the podcast to share their experiences to the people like Monica that have given us such amazing feedback uh, on Twitter. We read your comment and we loved it. I feel like your contribution is so important. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like everybody that's in conversation with us, like we're really grateful to be in this space together. Also, a la compañera Glendalicia, who has been a really strong supporter too, who is always sharing things about our podcast and the reflections she uh, had on the podcast with uh, Rocio Moreno. And we're really incredibly, like I said, grateful to be in conversation with everybody that we can have these conversations and kind of think about things um, in different ways and different perspectives, you know? Um, we know that we don't have the answers to everything. 
And that's why we think it's so important to share a space and make a table big enough for everyone to not only invite people that are Zapotec or Mixtec, but to have a diversity of voices on this podcast. And we're really thankful that, mm -hmm. you know, we've been able to, to meet these people in our different journey in organizing with Cielo and being able to meet like Adida, who was at the interpreters conference or, you know, uh, Mario Luna, who did the um, tour for Water and Dignity, or Bettina Cruz, who came down to also do a um, fundraiser for and, and raising awareness about the El Dico. So if you haven't heard that episode, it's also there. You know, like all these amazing people, like these really strong indigenous people that are like at the forefront and fighting and for land sovereignty, for rights to our land, to right to... We're just really in awe of this great opportunity that this has given us as a podcast and to be able to share these stories with you all. It's, and it's also the beauty of being able to connect through, with everyone through this platform with podcasts, you know, para llevar la información que es importante ser escuchada. And we know, we know, we're slow and we're sorry. We're trying to edit. <laughs> We're mucho trabajo. Really, we're really sí. trying to edit as often as we can and we apologize for the delays. We apologize, but we appreciate your patience too and know that we are consistently thinking about the podcast and when we're going to get to it. So thank you everybody for the support. Okay, no. But, you know, we just want you guys to know that we do have recorded episodes that we haven't released, which we plan to release soon. Uh, soon. We have one uh, you can look forward to hearing some episodes from. Medium who is an important figure in the LA Oaxacan organizing spaces. You will hear from her soon. And as soon as we get that podcast edited. <laughs> it will be soon. It will we be promise. soon. We promise that we're going to do it soon. Um, we also have some upcoming episodes with Itandewi Johnson, who is a filmmaker. If you don't know about her work. You should look her up because her story is important especially to all the Mixtecos out there who are, who have access to the codexes, no? It's important the trabajo que haciendo and she's part of uh, one of one of our episodes. It's about. Bueno, thank you everyone. Thank you. Adios. Adios. Trushkin to everyone.